You're listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode 23. That's my birthday episode. Boo. I mean, yay! Yay! Rush out on an uptown train, doors open, and she walks in, she's soaking, caught in the rain, her skin shines crystalline. This is the Gimme 5 podcast, where each week we discuss the things that we found interesting or entertaining. Could be movies, music, games, streaming TV, whatever. I'm Greg, and I am joined, as always, by Jimmy. Happy birthday, Greg. Thanks, Jimmy. And Rob. Happy birthday to you. Thank you as well. So, um, as I said before, this is my birthday week, so we're going to change things up just a little bit. For each of our birthdays, we're going to curate a little bit of the content and basically force the other people to watch or listen or read something that that I like in this case. And later on, actually in less than a month, Jimmy will be curating. And in a few more months, Rob will be curating. So... Like a fine meat. That's cure. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's curing. <laughs> but I will accept some of that as well. I will accept any of your cured meats. Yeah, you will. Anyway, so um, basically I assign stuff to them. Yeah, anyway. Same thing to me. Uh, we're also going to be chatting about some recent news and uh, then, of course, our question of the week based on our assignments. Uh, so this week I assigned Jimmy a book that I read a long time ago called The List of Seven that was kind of hard to find for a while. But now, thanks to the wonders of the Kindle and digital stuff, you can find it a little easier. Uh, it's written by Mark Frost. I assigned Jolly Good. I assigned Rob uh, the PJ20 documentary about Pearl Jam's first 20 years uh, because he doesn't like concerts, and he's uh, an American. Speaking of concerts. I don't not like concerts. I just don't like Billy Joel or baseball or America. I, if I go to a concert, I expect to be able to get something that I couldn't get off of a CD. If uh, I go to a concert and the person just sits there and plays songs – and maybe has a couple of flashing lights. I'm going to be a little disappointed that I paid to go to that concert. So you want to I make agree. out with like a you want to make out with like a security guard? No, I no, actually... I want to make out with three of them. Oh. <laughs> then you would uh, you would enjoy Pearl Jam concerts and, and probably a Jimmy Buffett one as well. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Um, also, we're going to talk a little about the Killers concert in Miami, which I was not at, but I saw some pictures of it. It looks really really impressive. A uh, TV show that just started on TNT called The Alienist, which kind of caught, it snuck up on me, but it was actually one of the first, uh, I believe, literary fiction crime novels that I ever read based on um, S.K. Nichols' uh, description. And it's a great show on TNT, so I'll talk a little bit about that. And I think that's largely what we're going to talk about, right? A great show on TNT. You've piqued my interest. Yeah. Sweet. Bring the spoiler warning, Rob. Well, as always, this is a review show. Guess what? There's probably going to be spoilers, especially when we talk about things like TV shows and movies and whatnot. Well, to try to avoid major twists, for example, if you didn't know that Eddie Vedder didn't know who his real dad was until his dad had passed, 
or that Greg was born with a superfluous nipple, then you probably don't want to keep listening. And you may not want to keep listening anymore anyway. <laughs> Greg wrote that about himself, so you know he, it's true. He totally did. It's actually not true. but Yes, it is. Don't lie. I couldn't think of anything else to write that was possibly believable. Your new nickname is Third Nipple Greg. <laughs> I've had worse nicknames. <laughs> oh, good old TNG. <laughs> I've, I've actually given you some. That's true. However, this episode probably won't have any significant spoilers, except for maybe The Alienist. Yes. If you haven't seen the first episode. Exactly. So, guys, if you want to get in touch with us, check us out. Search for us on Facebook at the uh, Give Me Five podcast. Disclaimer, always F-I-V-E, not the number. You can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at the same handle. That's at Give Me Five Pod. Or if you are shy, you can email us directly at GiveMe5Podcast at gmail.com. And do us a favor, if you could, if you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app that you're using. Also, check out our store for some super sweet merchandise with our amazing logo on it, designed by Katie Bernier. That is the... Sorry, the address is giveme5podcast.threadless.com. I put a the at the beginning, that like the, give, but it's not. It's giveme5podcast.threadless.com. Yep. The shirts and, and cell phone cases came in, and they're really great colors. They match the logo colors perfectly. It's I love it. Yeah, nice. they, they're awesome. You can preview all the designs on the store before you actually buy anything. Uh, I have seen the, the pictures. They are very true to what they look like on the website. They're exact, so you know what you're getting. All those, you know, costs, whatever we get from that, do help us um, because server space does cost money, and it actually does cost us money to keep this podcast going. So if it helps us out, we'd appreciate it. If not, you know, it's cool too. Okay, so now that we've begged you guys for stuff, uh, so anything yeah. new with you guys and hear any new news that caught your eye? There's been a lot of news. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rob. No, no, no. I, I mean, what, what I've got. I mean, what I've got probably won't, um, won't be addressed till next week. I mean, I recently saw um, the Greatest Showman, but I think we'll wait till next week to discuss that most likely. Um, but also, this weekend in uh, in Orlando is the Universal Studios Celebration of Harry Potter. It's their annual event. I'll be going to that, so I'll probably talk a little bit about that next week. But that's what uh -huh. I've been looking forward to. Looking forward to it. It's really cool every year, specifically because they have the graphic designers usually that do all the background stuff and the books and the, some of the artwork that you see throughout the movies, which I that's the part I usually get caught on. Yeah, and and every year they have some of the uh, some of the actors from the movies show up. Uh, this year, I believe they've got um, Tonks coming. Victor Crumb is going to be there. The Weasley twins, Fred and George, as well as Ginny Weasley, they're all going to be there. Will so. Victor Crumb be bringing his unibrow? No, I don't think so. Uh, the thing should get a, a its, own, its own billing. Yeah, it really should. <laughs> I have no idea who any of those people are. You haven't seen okay. Harry Potter? Like at all? Ever? Uh, a long time ago, I don't... You're about to get an assignment. <laughs> all right, I have to read the entire Harry Potter series. Got In it. like three weeks. No, the um, movies are easier. Yeah. That'll at least um, tell you who those characters are. A lot of news that I found out recently um, in the way of audio. So 
we've got a new track released from the artist Ghost, or uh, as Rob calls him, Ghost. Ghost. Now, now it's 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 very important to note that when I was reading the announcement, we do not have the two little dots over the O. So it is actually spelled Ghost without the two little dots over the O. Well, he he doesn't actually have an umlaut over the O. Um, and it, so he just can't spell. There's just 900 other well, bands named Ghost. Yeah, there's there's a shitty Swedish band or I called Ghost that have this terrible shtick. They're awful. Um, there's also a 70s band named Ghost too. That's kind of like Black Sabbath ish. I could talk for an hour and a half about how terrible the the band Ghost is, but the new track for Ghost is called uh, Gareth. It's off his new album, Possessor, and that comes out on March 23rd. In more, um, in sooner news, I guess, (laughs) more immediate news, um, two new albums come out tomorrow that I'm really, really looking forward to. Uh, Black metal band called Tribulation, uh, their new album, Down Below, comes out, uh, that is uh, January 26th. This recording is January 25th. And the new Midnight Danger album malignant force comes out tomorrow as well that is the newest release from new retro wave records found out also that a band that i really love harakiri from the sky um their new album comes out the day after my birthday that is february 16th and michael c hall of dexter and six feet under fame will narrate his first book and that will be stephen king's pet cemetery very soon yeah super excited now, that's not the Michael C. Hall from, like, Weird Science, is it? That's not the same guy? I don't believe so, no. No. Well, that guy's name was Michael Hall, too, right? Or Michael Anthony Hall. Oh, okay, that's why. Yeah. All right. Who's I'd not, listen to that. Who's not the Michael Anthony who was the bass player for Van Halen. There Correct. will be a quiz later on all this. So you guys okay. have to take thorough take notes. Note. Yeah, take notes. <clears throat> it's Greg's birthday episode, and he's going to do a pop quiz later. That's what I do on my birthday. Pop quizzes. A few follow up news newses. <laughs> follow up notes to things that we have talked about in the past. Uh, one of Jimmy's like favorite streaming shows from our 2017 episode, Castlevania, is returning yes. this summer. Uh, apparently, Can't people wait. have been bugging the writer Warren Ellis, who's also a comic book writer, frequently on Twitter, and he finally casually just like, "Oh, you guys haven't heard yet? It'll be back this summer with eight episodes." So. Uh. It'll be back. We don't know exactly what month, but sometime in the next, sometime in either June, July, or August, there will be some new Castlevania. Yeah, I I finally ran out of um, emails to sign up for the trials for Netflix. So um, after doing that for like two and a half years, um, I'm finally going to actually pay for Netflix. So looking forward to it. They finally finally got you. Yeah, they finally got me. Man, I'm cheap. (laughs) I don't pay them enough. Uh, so some of the other things, um, what we do in the shadows, well, sorry, what we do in the shadows, uh, pilot has actually been greenlit. So that is another TV sh- or movie that I, all of us watched. Uh, I'm going to completely flub the name yet again, but Taika Waititi and Jermaine yeah, Clement right. are going to exec produce, uh, Jermaine Clement. Super exciting. Yeah, Jermaine Clement, who you probably know from Flight of the Concords or from the voice of the crab that Rob hates in Moana. Oh, he's so terrible. He needs to die. Kill, kill the <laughs> oh, crab. Wow. And also, he's an excellent character in the show Legion. Um, 
it's been greenlit. It's going to be set in the U.S. Uh, Clement will be writing it. YTT will direct at least the first episode. And that's not all from that universe. They're also in the middle of production on Werewolves, which is talking about the wolf side of things, the werewolf side of things. Not Swearwolves. Yep. Not Swearwolves, regardless of what I said. And also a TV show called, or a movie called Wellington Paranormal. So there will be two more of their kind of low mid, mid range budget movies coming out. More of the, more of the unscripted type that they did. Now what's Wellington Paranormal? Uh, it will be following around, I believe, the two police officers, the two hapless police officers from the <laughs> from the first movie that were so easily charmed by uh, the Taika Waititi vampire. Because in the first movie, or in the movie, what we do in shadows, uh, it takes place in Wellington, New Zealand. So it's going to be about those police officers. I believe all of the same cast will be there, other than some of the bigger name people that are busy directing movies like Thor. So. There's that little Never bit of news. I did learn a little bit more about MoviePass. I keep on talking about it. I'm not getting paid by them yet. However, if you work for MoviePass and you want to pay me to talk about you guys, more than happy to do so. Uh, they used to be about 50 bucks a month, then it went down to $9, and everyone's like, well, how are you going to possibly make money? Mm-hmm. You know, $9 a month to be, um, you know, basically you could go see a movie every day and they pay full price. One of the things that they're doing is they're actually investing in movies themselves. So some okay. of the movies that they will be paying for the tickets, they'll actually get some more money on the back end. Where that becomes kind of a big deal is MoviePass has noted that if they put a movie on the front page of their app when you go when you log into it, it usually it usually goes from about three percent people purchasing tickets to ten percent. So theoretically, they can invest in a movie. They put that movie on the front page of their app, and it raises their profits, which isn't bad because some of what will happen is more independent movies will be will be visible. So it'll hmm. actually help fund more things like Shape of the Water or Shape of Water. I keep on adding the into stuff this week. Yeah, you do. Apparently that's my thing. It's this all week. good. Shape of Water will be, you know, stuff like that will be pushed a little forward. And so far, I mean, I've gotten to see a bunch of movies and pay nine ninety nine a month, and I have yet to see any sort of repercussion from that. So I think that's kind of cool. Um. I guess I can ramble on about a couple more things. Yeah. It's your uh, birthday. Dark, do what you want. Yeah. Uh, show it Dark Tower TV birthday. show. Yeah, the actual official TV. press release said Dark Tower TV show might start filming this summer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I was like, okay. But they did find spots to film in Ireland and the UK, uh, giving me the impression that they're going to go with more of the otherworldly side of the of the show that I wanted to see or of the books that I wanted to see. Yes, the uh, world that has moved on. Yeah, rather than kind of the city part. Uh, they said they are going to base the, this first season that might be filming on book four, which is uh, Jimmy probably. Wizard and Glass. Wizard and Glass, yes, that is what it is. Yeah, that is a, um, that's a, a precursor to the movie. So it follows a young gunslinger um, as it kind of shapes his development and his hatred for the man in black. Yep. So we'll see. Yeah, that's uh, actually that's probably a better choice for television because you get a chance to actually know these characters a little better before this end of the world battle takes place. And a little bit of news for me, and it's going to probably lead into some of the stuff we talk about for the rest of the show. Uh, Pearl Jam has announced the home shows and the away shows 
Uh, they're going to be playing two shows as their home shows at Safeco Field, which is a baseball field, Rob, up in Seattle. Yeah, I know. And I, I know I was making fun of the baseball part. Um, oh. As part of those shows, they have pledged a minimum of $1 million out of their own pockets to fight homelessness in Seattle. And then an additional $10 million will be raised via partnerships and ticket sales uh, in each city they play in. The away shows are going to be in Boston at uh, Fenway Park over the summer, uh, Wrigley Field, a couple shows. And I know they're doing some shows in Montana because that's where one of them is from. But they're going to be doing some stuff out there. And are they going to are they going to sell their tickets through Ticketmaster? Uh, they've they have to. No, they can't not sell it through Ticketmaster, unfortunately. But you learned something from the documentary. I'm so proud. A single tear is rolling down my face. Um, and I am actually trying to go to the Seattle shows because it's going to be kind of a big deal. They haven't played there in like five or six years. That's where they're from. Really? So I think uh, there's some special deals for the fan club nerds like myself. So I'm going to try to get up there and maybe spend a couple days and kind of visit all the famous musical locations around Seattle and see, you know, Electric Ladyland Studios where Jimi Hendrix played or recorded and the the Soundgarden Park where the statue black or the sculpture Black Hole Sun is and check out some of that stuff. So that's what I got. Awesome. I'm going to shut up and let Jimmy tell you about another concert. Are you sure? I'm, I'm shutting up now. Well, you don't have to. It's your birthday. <laughs> nope. I want to hear what you have to say. All right. So I got the chance to see the Killers, who have sold over 20 million records worldwide, are one of the most um, successful rock bands of the you know, 2000s, I guess you could say. On yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I mean they're 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 a lot bigger than I thought. Um, I don't. I like the Killers. I, I'm not as familiar with their catalog as I am some other artists, but what I've heard, I do like. Um, but I got to see them on January 23rd at American Airlines Arena in lovely Vice City, Liberty City. Miami. Even saw me. Uh, <laughs> did, did you get murdered? I didn't. I thought I was several times. Um, he was disappointed he didn't get murdered. He tried. Not, it's a very overwhelming city. Um, and that's a conversation for another day. No offense to anyone who lives in Miami. It's a wonderful place. But Your traffic sucks, though. <laughs> speaking of wonderful, the Killers are touring in support of their album, Wonderful, Wonderful. And... As a, a really cool note, Brandon Flowers, the singer of The Killers, uh, wore a pure white suit and said he was saving the suit, especially for Miami. So if you're familiar with Miami Vice, uh, Don have, Johnson. Did he have on a what? turquoise shirt also? And did he have what? On a, a turquoise shirt? No, no, no. Turquoise. No, yeah, that was kind of disappointing. He was wearing a, a white shirt underneath of it. And loafers with no shoes? Like boat no. shoes with no socks, rather? But, I mean, you're going to talk about somebody born to be a rock star. It's that guy. And, Rob, you touched on this earlier about concerts where, you know, you go to a lot of concerts and you can tell that the band's just doing it because they're getting paid to tour. Mm -hmm. Or they're getting cuts from ticket sales and they just stand there. <laughs> Slayer. Um, you know, they just stand there the whole time. Billy Joel. <laughs> but I, I did not get that at all 
from the Killers uh, for having such a rigorous schedule as they do. You can tell the guys really, really enjoy it. Uh, they played their hearts out. It was phenomenal. It was loud. We weren't exactly nosebleed. We had a pretty good, um, you know, view of the stage. I, I think anyway, that arena is so huge that I think anybody has a pretty good view of the stage. Um, super intimidating, man. The, the, the sections were at such a steep grade that I felt like I didn't want to get up because I thought I was just going to fall over the side and they were going to have to stop the show and I would have been that guy. And yeah, but, uh, it was very loud. The crowd was, and this is what I was saying. I didn't know they, they, they had that big of a following. The crowd was so into it. It, I mean, there were so many people there. It was insane. People were just screaming. They're dancing in their seats. I mean, people love the killers. I just recently saw that they were headlining a bunch of major summer concerts i think like either bonnaroo or something like that i forget which one and they headlined yeah go ahead i was like surprised because you like like you said i knew they were a i thought they were like a mid-level band but i don't think either of us listened to traditional radio like i don't listen to the rock station in orlando i'll i'll track down what i want to hear and i think you kind of do the same Mm -hmm. so i did not know they they still had such a following they do um they opened with What's that? I was going to say, and I don't listen to a whole lot of music anymore at all. I mean, I'm usually listening to either like sports radio or my, uh, my audio books when I'm, when I'm driving. It's weird. I don't listen to a whole lot of music or sometimes I'm listening to Disney music. Thanks, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they open with I'm the man, which is a really kind of tongue in cheek. Uh, really, it's a really fun song that has regular radio rotation. Um, but just super high energy the whole time. Of course, they they played their hits. Um, when you were young, Mr. Brightside, they actually came back for their encore. They played played three songs, and I briefly mentioned the stage setup, but it was phenomenal. Um, my favorite part was during the song "Human." Uh, they had a, it was a really really good song, but it was like the most retro part of it. In, in like neon pinks and and blues, um, but not like yeah, this like I used to get ahead. a subscription to a magazine called CMJ, which was a college music journal, and it come it would come with a CD, and mm-hmm. it was and I remember there was usually there'd be like twenty some songs on it, and of those twenty songs, five of them would be good, and like the rest of them would be like you know just really avant garde crazy stuff, you know like a dude farting into an accordion for five minutes like just weird <laughs> weird stuff or bands like otis wants bread yeah exactly they'll have a grudge against those guys anyway go ahead <laughs> yeah it'd be just weird stuff or mm-hmm. it would be some like random track from like a classical music cd but like with just roman numerals like, what but some of this yeah. you know, but i did get a chance to learn a lot of, of music and there was one an issue that came out which had this band called the killers in it and I listened to it because it, I honestly thought it was going to be either hardcore rap or metal, like metal metal because of the name. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I listened to it and it was somebody told me. And from the second that song hit, I was like, this is why I get this magazine. It was so good. Yeah, they they played – that was the third song in. That's the third um, one. Get people pumped, it, like pumped up. For – 
Man, you know, I just think about how many times those bands have to go out. I, and you talk about their their following. Um, they sold out Wembley. They sold out Madison Square Garden. Uh, American Airlines Arena was near capacity. I mean, I didn't see a single empty seat. You know, I think that guy that farts into the accordion also sold out Madison Square Garden, though. That was Rob. Oh. Yeah. Rob, I, you sell I, out I do that on occasion. I, I made a lot of money, but I blew it all on, on cocaine. I knew it. <laughs> Speaking of Miami. Um, <laughs> but they, they've come out and said uh, they played Read My Mind, which is a, it's a very pretty song. And the singer Brandon Flowers has said, uh, you know, a few times that that's one of his favorite songs that they play live. They just sounded great. You, you kind of spoke about their, their name. Um, like it would be, you know, hardcore hip hop or, or heavy metal. I, when I was younger and they first came out and that song hit, I always got them confused with the Stranglers who, who you mentioned you know, the other day. On I did the podcast They're the song golden Brown. Um, I, I, I remember hearing them on the radio and being like, what, but the, the strength, they've been around for years and they finally have another hit. And it, that was years for me to, it took me years to disassociate those two acts. But yeah, I, if you get a chance to, you know, check them out, they, they came to Orlando the next night, but, um, that, that, uh, the package, uh, that my girlfriend got sold out pretty quickly. So, you know, I would have been standing in the back while she was in the second row. Um, but man, if, <laughs> I, I, I was just blown away by two hours, uh, you know, spanning their entire, their catalog. Uh, they came out after the, on, or, or they came out for the encore and talk about a rock star. Brandon Flowers, the singer had this gold, um, bedazzled suit. <laughs> and I want a gold I mean, bedazzled suit. <laughs> it was amazing, man. And, you know, very, very tongue in cheek. It, it really humble dudes. Um, it just there's a lot of fun fun to listen to and uh, and people love them and if you get a chance to check them out on tour, otherwise check out their new album. It's actually really good. Will do. So we are going to stick with music for a little bit because one of the things that I assigned, as I mentioned earlier, was the PJ twenty or Pearl Jam twenty anniversary twentieth anniversary documentary that came out in two thousand eleven, and I did so because. One of the things that Rob said is he doesn't like bands that just go up there and go through the motions. And one of the reasons that I love Pearl Jam is that they will play a different set every single night based on how they feel. Yeah, and that 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 is neat. I mean, I do like that going to the show, you never get the shame the same show twice. Oh, you get a lot of shame. That's right. <laughs> not the same. <laughs> not not the shame. Not the shame. No, I've I've seen them twenty four times, and I've never seen Jesus the same show twice. And I've also, it, every single time, there's at least four or five songs that I'm like, oh, well, I've never heard them play this live yet. Mm-hmm. And that that's a that's a lot, but that's not as that's not as many as some of the people in the documentary that they interviewed. One guy said, I think he'd seen like 115 shows or something. Yeah, those people need to get jobs. Yeah, no joke. But I I will say that I was it it, it was a little hard for me to follow at times because it was like the documentary was being told by your senile grandfather 
who doesn't remember the whole story. And then he'll get partway into the story and then remember something from the previous part of the story that he wants to tell you. So he goes back and tells you that part. So the whole thing is like disjointed and out of order because the entire documentary did not flow chronologically at all. You know, what's funny is you are not wrong. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> However, the weird thing is, I mean, I, that was very, that documentary was me being able to see stuff that I had heard about for years and read about for years. Mm-hmm. But I can understand someone going in blind. And what's interesting, I went back just for this to look. I watched it again, and I went back to look at, like, reviews of it. And I think one of the problems, it was directed by the guy that directed Almost Famous or and Jerry Maguire or right. uh, what was, what's the movie with the in your eyes and he holds this boombox over his head? Is it better Say off anything. Or something? Say anything. Yeah, so he directed that too. Um, and I think even though in Almost Famous he says you can't really fall in love with the band – he clearly did mm-hmm. fall in love with the man, and he does insert himself into it probably more than he should. Okay. Oh, really? I think, no which I, yeah, like he talked, like he start, the whole thing starts over, starts with a voiceover about him or him talking about how he got to know the band and stuff. Cause he got to know them while recording the movie singles, which he also directed. But I thought it was, other than that, I thought it was really interesting. Actually, I mean, I've seen it probably five, six times, and it still makes me tear up at certain points. Yeah, um, it didn't make me tear up, but well, I f- I figured, <laughs> um, but I did I did think that you know one of the reasons why was because of the you know just showing that they you know there are bands out there that that will basically jam and play whatever mm-hmm. they feel on a certain night. So yeah, um, a, one one of the things that I thought was really interesting was the stance that they took against Ticketmaster. Um, I thought it was really, really neat that they stood up, but they also mentioned in the documentary that they were not the only ones. It was just their names got put at the head of the list, I guess, because they were, they were a bigger band, so to speak. Um, but they were the one that everybody thought of, but they were a, it was like a class action suit against Ticketmaster. It was, it was a class action suit and it was, but they were the ones that were willing to stand up because a lot of the other ones, I think U2 was part of it as well. Mm-hmm. But when some of these bands realized that they wouldn't be able to play certain venues, they backed out. Oh, yeah. And, and when Pearl Jam was like, whatever. It was – what actually had happened was Ticketmaster, when they signed uh, when they signed deals, they don't sign deals with the band so much as with the venues. Mm-hmm. So if you want to play a big venue, you have to do Ticketmaster tickets because that's the only things that will happen. So they basically got deals with every single venue in the country. So when very there was very few places that could do this. In fact, the first time I ever saw Pearl Jam was at the Fort Lauderdale Soccer Arena, which was, you know, I, you it's off of I ninety five. It wasn't very big. In fact, it had no like it had very little security, and they ended up having half of their guitars stolen off of a bus because of it. Mm-hmm. It's like one of the famous shows because they were pissed because of that. Because um, people are jerks. Got, well, yeah, but they got vilified because the fans back then, you know, there was. A lot of misinformation. It was like, oh, Pearl Jam's just mad at Ticketmaster. And what was happening is they were lowering their ticket prices so their fans could afford to see it. Right. And then going and pe- like, like, okay, we'll charge $20 for our tickets. And then fans all of a sudden are paying 50 Like, Well, why? That's not what we charged. And they, as they lowered their ticket sales, Ticketmaster was adding more fees. So, and I think that that was one of the things that, um, that I loved about them, even though it made them harder for me to see. I also love, I don't know if you caught the part, I'm assuming you did where Eddie Vedder was pissed off at the security guard. Oh yeah. Yeah. When they were roughing up that guy in the concert. Mm-hmm. And they like, they actually had video of it. I think Jimmy remembered that part too, or saw that part as well. 
where they said that like this shy guy finally found his voice. Yeah. And like that's oh, one yeah. that's one of the part that like caused me to tear up. I'm like, oh wow. Like this guy that was just kind of being goofy on stage and all of a sudden he sees the little guy getting beaten up, one of his fans getting beaten up and he kind of takes over. It's Yeah, he it's it's a transformative moment that you can actually see on video. It's very uh it, it it did something to me too. I'm not the biggest Pearl Jam fan in the world, but he's he just changes right there on stage, and he's like glaring at the security guard, mm-hmm. like, like kneeling down behind him and singing right in his ear. And I'm like, whoa, just and, mad. And that so cool. And in the in the documentary that that takes place, even though that's fairly early in their in their run that takes place after the, the Roskilde event, which I believe happened significantly after it. Um, yeah. The Ros- Roskilde happened in 2000. Right. And, and, or, and that whole incident with him finding his voice happened fairly early. Um, yeah. That happened before they were huge. Right. And it happened. It happened when they were still being whispered about like, Oh, did you hear about this new band? Whereas yeah. the Roskilde thing happened in, uh, 10 years in and almost killed the band. So Roskilde, if you guys out there listening, it was a, a huge concert in Denmark, I believe. Was it and Denmark or I wanted to say it was like Sweden or Switzerland, but maybe it was Denmark. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. It's a big concert in Europe that happens every year. And there was it was a comedy of errors where basically the ground was muddy. Everyone was the it was slightly sloped towards the stage. Everyone was kind of crowding in, and then when they started playing a quieter song, all of the speed like, it was one of those concerts with the big speaker towers like throughout the venue so like there's the main speakers and then some like 100 yards deep into the venue and then more later well those other ones weren't working so everyone crushed forward and during the song daughter i believe which is a quiet acoustic song Mm -hmm. and what ended up happening was you know they it took about 15 minutes for for people to realize what happened eddie vetter i actually listened it was hard to listen to but i listened to his stage announcement where he's like okay guys not knowing what was going on because it was nighttime. It's like, I need everyone to stop. This isn't about music. I need everyone to step three steps back. And he's like, one, two, three. Okay. Now I need everyone to step three more steps back. One, two, three. And then when you started realizing that there was a pile of bodies as these people were stepping away from him, then the stage manager came out and was like, okay, everyone get back up. And I think nine people ended up dying at the show. Yeah, it was like eight or nine people died. And like there were there were a bunch that were seriously injured. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, that was a weird time. At least I had just moved to Orlando and it was also right around the time. Uh, there's a lot going on around that time musically where it was hard for me to focus on music to begin with. Cause I was going to school. I think the Napster stuff was going on. Mm-hmm. So there was, so it like, it, there wasn't, there was a lot of weird news in music. So, but when it happened, I, I didn't realize quite how bad it was. Yeah. And how ba- how much it affected them until this documentary? Yeah, well, they and they talked a lot in the documentary about how how it how it hit them and how hard it was to watch them lift you know these these lifeless bodies over the barricade and realizing that that these people had had died at their concert and it I mean watching watching Eddie on stage as he's as he's as they're pulling his bodies out and he's like he's like crying on his knees. Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty powerful. Um, and you, you definitely see, you definitely see that the, the band does have heart and the band, you know, the band cares a lot. I mean, but in that, in that instance, how can you really not? I mean, well, yeah, they're not going to be up there going, woo. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's kind of, that is one of the other things like, you know, I, it's weird that I like that band as much as I do 
because I've lived very different lives. I've lived a very different life from them. You know, I've had a great home life. I didn't. So a lot of the stuff they talk about, you know, especially the thing that from the beginning of the show where Eddie's like, you know, I don't, um, where he didn't know his father. In fact, that's, you know, if you listen to the song alive, that's what that's about. Um, you know, I, it's, but it still speaks to me in some ways. And part of that is the fact that they do, they are so close with their fans and they are, they keep a distance, which is understandable as, you know, they ended up getting stalked for a while and they were really young when they hit it big. Mm-hmm. Um, but they definitely keep a distance. So like, it's weird. Like if I was at a restaurant and they walked in, I don't know what I would do. Like, I don't know if I would go over there because I know that they just want to be with their families at this point. Yeah. But also, and, and one of the things that I saw in the documentary that I, that I just had to laugh at was there was, there was one scene where, um, I, I think it was shortly after Eddie joined the band. Um, he had been out on stage and he, he had had a very emotional show and he came off and he's like on that little side ramp, you know, kind of like collecting himself. He's, he's leaning over, he's got his hands on his knees. He's leaning over, like catching his breath. Um, you could tell it was a really emotional show as some guy walks up to him with a microphone and a pad and Eddie looks up at him and he's like, no, man, and he looks down and then the guy just kind of gets ushered away. <laughs> They're like, no, what are you doing? Get out of here. Stop it. This is, this is private time. What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was at, I was at a show at the, it was just a ukulele shows. So it was just Eddie by himself. And when he does those shows, it's very, it's not set, but it's very like thematic. And he tells people up front, he's like, here, take your pictures now. I'm kind of setting a mood here. Yeah, it's. I want it to seem more like I'm sitting around a campfire telling you guys stories than anything else. And after the show, his security came out and was like, you know, he's going to wave to you guys. He'll let you guys take pictures with him, but his family is on the bus. He wants to get out. So it was at that parking lot behind the old uh, art center mm-hmm. in in uh, downtown Orlando. So he comes out and everyone was very polite and cool. And he waved and was like, thank you guys, you know, whatever. Paused for a second so people can take a few pictures. And gets on the bus. And this dude comes running to the front of the bus, like the flat front of the bus, and is like jumping in front of the window with a ukulele, trying to give it to him. And the security guard's like, please step away. He's like, no, no, I need to give this to you. I need to, it's, you know, something. I don't know what he was trying to say. Like, he was doing something. He was very weird. And like, the next day when I got that thing that was like, you know, rate your show on Ticketmaster, I could tell that that guy was the first person. He's like, yeah, the show was great, but that fucker didn't want to take my my ukulele that I tried to give him. And, you know, he's only famous because of me and he should have let me talk to him and on his tour bus. And I'm like, no, <laughs> he doesn't owe you crap. He owes you a concert. You've got problems, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so true. And it was funny because I ended up meeting someone at a later show, um, in a couple years ago in Jacksonville. And I was talking about that. I'm like, and she was like, Oh, I was at the Orlando show. And I'm like, Oh, and she's like, what was with that ukulele guy? I'm like, Right the weird ukulele guy trying to get on the tour bus. I'm like, I would not let that dude on the bus with my family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No joke. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, those were the, some of the big things. Um, what was that? And then he did a lot of stage dives. Oh yeah. That was the other big thing. Yeah. That was when, when I saw that movie, it was very clear that he's a lot older now than when they first became famous. Cause they were showing all of his jumping off of like, you know, rafters, like 20 feet above the air on the end of like a camera boom. Yeah, into the crowd and stuff like that, and, and then, and then swinging, sw- swinging on the thing like monkey bars on the uh, stage, yeah. stage. Uh, I don't even know what you call that thing—the thing where all, that holds up all the lights and everything. Yeah, the truss, the truss above yeah, the light, like the lighting go. rig. 
Wasn't the um, whole video for Alive just him crowd surfing? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it was. It, yeah, it start well. The start of it was we start off with like waves crashing, and then it kind of faded into him crowd surfing. But either way, so I wanted to uh, introduce you because, of course, you know when you were living out in California, I, I did come out and stay with you, so I could go to some of the Pearl Jam shows. Mm-hmm. I know if someone who's not big into concerts might think that I'm a complete crazy person for going to you know, 24 of what theoretically is the same band, but that's why I that's why I gave that assignment. Not not at all. I have I have my own eccentricities as well. I I judge no one for theirs. I judge you heavily. I know you do. Though I, I I have seen Pearl Jam in concert, and I actually saw them in concert with you, Greg, and it was absolutely fantastic. They were incredible live. Pearl Jam and so, uh, Foo Fighters on two Foo separate Fighters. nights. Yeah, awesome. It was amazing. Okay, so up next on our It's My Party and I'll Assign Crap If I Want To, a list of seven by Mark Frost was assigned to Jimmy. And as I said before, that was one of my... Uh, favorite books going through college and uh, a girl I was dating at the time. She like, you have to read this book. It's really good. I you know, borrowed it from her. I read it. Actually, I still have that copy. Although Jimmy now has it. I at the have moment. it. It's been and, forever. Broke and, thing. and it was really hard to find in print after that because it was out of print for a book that was actually pretty good and written, which eventually I found out that the guy that wrote it's actually semi-famous. Yeah. And, Good. Oh, I, I was going to say it's my famous uh, co-creator of Twin Peaks, yep. which I have never been able to get into. I never I, really watched it either. Not sure that I'll ever get into it. I've seen clips of it, and it. Looked, I tried, but it was like episode uh, seven or eight, and everything was weird and psychedelic, and I was like, nope, not for me. <laughs> I I only had to see. Because I guess this newest iteration of it, they would do live performances or quote live end quote performances from, from bands and they had nine inch nails on there and it was just really, really painfully awkward. Hmm. And I was just like, nah, Mm-mm. they did, um, did one of their lesser known songs from the, uh, the downward spiral. It was like a warm place and it was just weird and it just felt very stiff and the acting was bad. And it was like, they were acting anyway. We can talk about it another day. There was like another show out around Twin Peaks that was was it something about Alaska? It was like a comedy, but not like a in studio comedy. There's something like it had like oh. a moose at the beginning of it, and I used to always get those two shows mixed up. Oh, what is that? Like Nowhere Alaska or something like that? No, no, that was a movie. But you know what I'm talking about? There was like there was a lot of like moose in the opening credits. Yeah. Oh, what was the name of that show? That's gonna bother me. Yeah, this is great radio. We're going to be, for the next 15 minutes, we'll be trying to figure out what that show was. Well, let's find out. Yeah, so... I got it. I got it. Go ahead and talk. Okay. Um, but, yeah, this book is, um, it's it's really good. Northern Exposure. Northern that's Exposure. It. That's it. Yep. Anyway, so the There's book There's someone was, out there listening that's like, is Northern Exposure, you freaking idiots? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the book was written by Mark Frost, uh, co-creator of Twin Peaks and author, of course. It is about – it's an alternate reality tale that follows uh, Arthur Conan Doyle or Sir Arthur Conan Doyle who is famous for creating Sherlock Holmes. And he is a kind of a failing medical student at the time with aspirations of – being a published author who 
is a skeptic in every sense of the word and is invited to a seance, which leads off um, a series of events that forever change and shape his life. And he meets people, um, eccentric characters, and it takes them through, you know, the gaslit, seedy underbelly. I, I love saying that yeah. of London at the turn of the century. And I wish that more things it, were gaslit because I would like to go to a place that has a gaslit, seedy underbelly. Like there needs to be more of that. Yeah, the we closest could... thing is uh, is Diagon Alley at. Uh, oh, at it's so funny. Yeah. yeah, actually, that's that's a good point. Nocturne Alley needs to feel a little bit more like a seedy underbelly. Yeah. There needs to be actual rats and like at least one dead prostitute laying on the ground. Or is that too dark for Universal Studios? That's that's too dark for Universal Studios. A little bit too dark. Yeah. But uh, there since are... we're talking about it real quick, um, yeah. there there is a rumor that at next year's Halloween Horror Nights that Harry Potter area is going to be taken over by, by Voldemort and people for a kind of a show. Oh. Hmm. That'd uh, be interesting. It, it is a rumor I've heard from multiple people, um, some of which seem to know what they're talking about. Hmm. So, anyway, sorry, back to the, the awesome book that came out in 1991. 93. 93. Yeah, January 1st, 93. Um, reading this book, it's, it, it's not, it, okay, so it's a challenging read. And what I mean by that is it's um, very proper um, English, not old English, where everything has an E at the end of it. But I was well, reading. Color wrong with like a U. C O L O U R or shop S H O P P E. Um, <laughs> Shoppy. <laughs> but it is. Um, it's a very smart book, and I, I don't mean to to be you know uppity about that. But I'm That's I'm reading it. <laughs> I'm reading it and I'm I'm saying there's no way an American wrote this book because the way that it reads and the way that the voice is playing inside my head, it's very, very soaked in bad British accents. But the author actually won the uh, Edgar Award for Best First Novel by an American author. I think he was a historian, so I think a lot of research went into You can tell uh, Arthur Conan Doyle and kind of fitting that thing in. Arthur Conan Doyle. <laughs> Isn't it Arthur? Arthur it is Conan. Conan Doyle. Uh, yeah, well. Conan I the Barbarian not. Doyle. Yeah. <laughs> Arthur Conan the Barbarian. Okay. I would see um, that movie. I totally would. But it's, um, there, there, there are characters in there that, um, are inspired by characters from Inspector Gadget. I mean Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> that might be a mashup Halloween costume. Arthur Conan the Barbarian Doyle. <laughs> I'm not too sure anybody would get the first part, but the three of us would. I would. So but it's really what this book yeah, does, like you were saying with the history, historical people. It kinda and I hate this movie, but I'll mention it anyway. It kinda does a Shakespeare in Love. Where in Shakespeare in Love, where he's walking around the city, he sees people that eventually get put into Shakespeare's works like, oh, this person reminds me of Romeo and this person reminds me of you know, Horatio and all these other people. Mm -hmm. It kind of does that where the characters of this book and the locations of this book eventually get put into, although it's, you know, it's kind of written in reverse, obviously, but 
become locations and things in the famous Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, actual books. So, you know, for example, the Reichenbach Falls is one of those things, mm-hmm. which is in one of the in I believe one of the last or supposed to be the last um, Sherlock stories. Yeah, Inspector Gadget. Inspector Gadget stories. Yeah, smash them. Um, which is the final problem, which is yeah, baby. as seen in the second Sherlock movie with Robert Downey Jr. as well. Um, I, didn't, fact, I didn't like those movies. In the first Sherlock movie, when they started off, they started off with a seance. The, not the first but, but the first one with Robert Downey Jr. They started off with a seance, and I was freaking out because I was like, oh, my God. Did they really base yeah. this movie off of, off of that book? Like, did they... And I haven't found anything where it was like any script revisions or anything that was done by, by uh, Sparks, or not Sparks by uh, Frost. Uh, Frost, yeah. Sorry, I was looking at Sparks on your on the paper, but I haven't seen anything that said that. But I was like, wow, this is really really close, like painfully close. But um, so much that I can't actually remember which was which because I haven't had a chance to reread the book. But yeah, there are um, actually two Sparks characters in the book, mm-hmm. and one of them reminds me an extraordinary amount of um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, but with a lot more, I guess, intelligence. Mm-hmm. And the other ones, uh, the kind of <clears throat> uh, aesthetic, aloof, uh, you know, mentally and physically uh, extraordinary. He's, he's a, you know, dedicated to physical fitness uh, he's a very driven person. He's a violinist, but he's he's very eccentric and very um, addicted to cocaine. Yeah, and he's basically Sherlock Holmes, the model for Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. So while this is not a Sherlock story, it is eventually – it's essentially a Sherlock story. Um, and now the other reason I actually – I didn't know this at the time. So it was supposed to be a movie, and hmm. Mr. Guillermo del Toro <gasps> was the one that was supposed to do it. No. And yeah, it didn't happen, but – Guillermo del Toro released a book called Cabinet of Curiosities, which is a book of all of his artwork and stories. Mm-hmm. And there are two pages dedicated to the artwork of the characters that he drew for this. Really? I've wanted that book for such a long time. Yeah, it's like it's early, too. So when I, I the pictures, you can actually see him online. He, I think he actually put pages from the book online. So it's not like it's ripping him off or anything. But he definitely it got to the point of where he was drawing out the characters. He drew like a, a zombie type creature and I think sparks. So it's there. And he talked about in it a little bit about development of it and where it was going. So I didn't quite know that at the time um, when I signed up, but when I saw it, I was like, Oh, okay, well that's kind of kismet. But it was one of the many things that Guillermo del Toro wanted to do and would have been wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really would have been. There are so many um, characters in this story, and it's it's so just kind of draped in in dread. You know, there's this foreboding sense throughout the whole book, but it's it's super hard to put down. Um, I I found myself reading it in chunks at a time, and and you know, I'd read a chapter and I'd go. Okay, I'm really tired and it's past my bedtime, but one more chapter and it would be, you know, much longer than I anticipated. But would really, I'm going to have to call up my homeboy Guillermo and uh, get that restra- uh, restraining order lifted and talk some sense into him. Yeah, be like, look, I'll do all of your 3D work for you. Just make this movie. 
It'll be really bad. And I'll stop staring in your window at night. Nah. He's not willing to go that far. I don't know if I can give that up. Nah. As we said earlier, we all have our vices that we're not scared to talk about. Yeah, I I love the man. I think he's I think he's a Walt Disney uh, type visionary. And I mean, we could go off on a tangent about it, but what are some other things that um, that you found about the book that tie in with the Sherlock Holmes story, Greg? Yeah, some of the stuff I think is really cool. Like I mentioned, the Reichenbach Falls thing. Um, mm-hmm. Which, there good is, lord, that epilogue. Yeah, there's an awesome epilogue, which... Holy shit. <laughs> it, that's, <laughs> the book is the, good. The it's final last two pages. Like, yeah, then the last two pages, you're like, oh, wow. Oh my god. That's yeah. how it happened. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's um, yeah, there's a lot of references to some of the old Sherlock Holmes stories, which I actually want to read at some point, but... The, the big one, of course, that I already mentioned was the Reichenbach Falls thing because there mm-hmm. is there's a scene in the book that takes place there, and of course that did get carried over. Um, there, the Alexander Sparks character, which I believe is the one that you said, kind of reminds you of like a mishmash yeah, Frankenstein. He does. The kind of just, I, I mean, without spoiling it too much, he, I I just kind of picture. God, it was a dark story. Him mm-hmm. with him, um, I just kind of picture him running away from situations with ragged feet and torn up pants. Um, this is kind of monster of a, a human. Yeah. And he's but, um, um, largely modeled off of uh, Moriarty, the the mastermind, the criminal mastermind behind most of uh, Sherlock Holmes is uh, the most of the villains sure that Sherlock Holmes has to go after have some tie into Moriarty, which I'm sure you guys know if you've seen any of the various Sherlock Holmes um, stories anywhere, which I believe he actually has, there's more movies across around the world based on Sherlock Holmes than any other character, if I remember correctly. There's a character who I don't remember right now, but he's basically Watson. Uh, probably, I believe that's uh, is it Professor Armand Sacker. Oh, Sacker, yeah. And he, that was uh, Watson's original name was Armand Sacker. So there's definitely really... some some tie in there. And... See, I don't know a lot of this about Sherlock Holmes. I, I just found it. A really enjoyable read. You so to make this perfectly clear, you don't have to be familiar with Sherlock Holmes to enjoy this book. Mm-hmm. And, and Greg, I think you kind of knew that this was right up my alley, um, where I've, I've been into you know crime novels as of late. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thank you for that. It's it, it's a very very good read. Yeah. Oh, and the one other th- the one other thing that I thought was cool, and it's going to lead to the question later. Uh, Bram Stoker is actually a character in this book. Mm-hmm. And someone recount a story to Bram Stoker, who of course wrote Dracula, about um, how there was a ship that beached in the middle of the night and the crew was unloading coffins. Um, and whoever saw that was found dead the next day and he was uh, mauled by what they believe was to be a wolf, which is very reminiscent to how Count Dracula supposedly ar- arrived in England based on Bram Stoker's book. So, like, you know, of course, giving the reference that, oh, Bram Stoker heard this story and then turned it into the Dracula story, which I always find that kind of stuff cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. So, and speaking the, of, um, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, the name of the book is The List of Seven. It's by Mark Frost. Check it out, even if you're not a fan of Sherlock Holmes. Excellent. Speaking of historical crime fiction, I want to talk about the new show, The Alienist, which uh, is running on TNT. Uh, the first episode was last week, 
So at the time of you guys will be getting this, there'll be episode two will be coming out. Uh, since it's TNT and since they're well known for playing every episode of Law and Order all the time, I'm pretty sure they'll probably play episode one and two kind of back to back. So you'll get a chance to listen to it or watch it. Uh, the Alienist was a book and it was actually the first like literary crime fiction like that I read for myself. So I read it, I believe, senior year, yeah, senior year of high school. And I just remember seeing it and the cover looks so creepy. This book, it had like this shady kind of figure standing next to it, like a horse and buggy, really kind of blurry. And I saw it and I was like, I need to read this. And it was like one of those summer books that everyone was freaking out about. And it was written by a guy named Caleb Carr. He's a historian, actually a military historian of all things. But uh, it was written in 1994 and then, of course, languished in development hell forever. You know, pretty much everyone that tried to handle this book didn't get a chance to do it for some reason. But it was owned by Paramount. So anyway, I guess, you know, now with all these kind of high-end TV shows coming out, Paramount was looked into their their coffers and like, oh, we, we have rights to this thing. And they, uh, you know, they ended up hiring uh, Kerry Fukunaga, who did what, Jimmy? The first season and the best season of True Detective. Yep. And he was able to develop it. So I believe starting in 2014 or so. He started developing it, and he eventually had to step away to work on a show for Netflix, but he's still very much a part of it. And it is a story, it is, as as Jimmy said, uh, set in 1896, and it's set in New York, and it's That's about... That's 1896, Greg. Yeah, 1896. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> Not 1996. If it was in 1996, it would be about, you know, grunge musicians killing the cast of Friends or something. But no, this is 1896, and it's kind of like the Jack the Ripper of New York, which it's not a true story, but it might as well be. And basically starts off uh, where there's a killer who's killing these like young male prostitutes that were kind of largely forgotten because they're the they're the children of um, of various you know Irish and Italian immigrants, so they're very young, like 13, 14. They're forced to dress up as women, and they're getting getting murdered by someone, an alienist is basically the term for someone that is a profiler or someone that kind of studies uh, mental health. Okay. So he he's played by um, Daniel Brühl, who I'm not sure if you know him, but he was uh, he was in uh, Captain America Civil War. He was the, the villain, so to speak. And uh, he is this basically this person that studies mental health, and he's sort of unpleasant, and he's working with Luke Evans, who is – probably best known for uh, playing uh, the villain in Beauty and the Beast recently. What's the villain's name? Rob? Gaston. There we go. Yeah. That, see, that was Rob's thing. You jumped in. So it's Gaston. Um, as well I as... I met was, him yeah. at uh, Disney World. Kind of a jerk. Luke Evans or Gaston? Gaston. He is. For some reason, my son licked him. I don't know why. I saw that video. It's hilarious. Anyway, so he's he uh, Daniel Brühl plays Dr. Kreitzler, who's the the doctor, and then obviously, and Luke Evans is like a crime artist for the New York Times, and they're kind of working together to try to solve this crime. Uh, it was very interesting because they start off with everything off camera, and I was like, oh, is it going to be one of those shows? Because it's TNT, where like they're going to talk about the murder and whatever, and not show it, and they get about fifteen minutes in, and then they show this body that's all chopped up, and they the camera. They talk about how one of the eyes was removed, and then the camera does this slow pan directly into the eye socket, 
to fade it to black. I'm like, okay, so they're not going to be shy about the violence on this show. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really well done. I've, I've only seen an hour of it, obviously, so far. Uh, one of the cool things about it is it is showing a period of time where Teddy Roosevelt was the police commissioner of New York, who's trying to clean it up at the time, which is a true part of the story. And again, something we're going to talk about in a little bit. So Teddy Roosevelt, of course, is the he's he was became known as trying to clean up the dirtier parts of New York, specifically the um, some of the areas where you know, the brothels and stuff like that were. Um. It's a beautiful show, and I believe each episode cost about five to six million dollars. So it's definitely a higher budget than most TNT shows, and I re- I really enjoyed it. Oh, it also has Dakota Fanning as um, who's kind of the she's the secretary, but she's definitely doing more than being a secretary. She's they're they're trying to shield her from the violence, and she's like, look, let me I can mm. help you with this case. I'm not scared, and you know she's kind of a badass. Uh, the also, character the character itself. Um, Real quick, it's if this this is a um like a maxi series or a, a event series to where it's going to be I think eight or nine episodes or something, and when it's done, if it does well, there is another book that he wrote uh, called which I thought I wrote it down here, but um, Angel of Darkness that's what it is, and that's also following the same characters. And there's also more, you know more about serial killers in in New York and stuff. So if this does well, I think that would also make a really great. I haven't read that book yet, but I'm going to. I highly suggest it. Watch it. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, okay. Last thing I saw Dakota Fanning in was um, a short film, The Zygote, by Neil Blomkamp from Oat Studios. And that may be turning into a feature film. We'll see. I, I, I heard about that one. I actually. It's very good. It's like five or six minutes long. Five, like I don't know. Somewhere in that range, but it's really cool. You should post that on our website. I think I'll do that right now. Excellent. Okay, so the question I posed this week to bring up our Gibby 5 question, uh, based on the fact that, one, I've really been into history recently, and the fact that especially this historical period, you know, the late 1800s, early 1900s, where all these inventors were working and it was there was dark area, you know, some dark history and stuff like that. So the fact the Alienist came out around this time has been great for me because it's fiction and it's got history and it's just it's just perfect. Um, so the question I wanted to ask, and it's something I always find kind of cool, is when they actually put a real historical figure in a fictional work. Now, not a story that adds a few little uh, extra things to a real historical thing, but like putting a character in there that was a real person and then building some fictional story around that character. So the question, of course, is what are your favorite books, movies, games, shows that use a real historical figure as a fictional character? And who would like to lead the charge? Well, since it's your birthday, how about you go first? Birthday boy first! Woo-woo! I can do that. All right. Actually, since it is your birthday, I think think you get the right of choice. Uh, I'll I'll do it, but... I'll do it, but I, I, there might be some um, audibles called as I go through because there are there's there's a lot that I want yeah. to do. But then I was kind of like pulling stuff out based on like characters that um, were only in there for a second or something like that. So like uh, one of which is the, kind of the first one, and I'll admit that the story and the movie is less good than the idea behind it. But there was a movie called Gothic. It was like a horror movie, and like it came out in sometime in the mid eighties. 
Um, do you guys remember that movie? No. I, I know I, the title. I, I keep imagining the Halle Berry movie, which is not the correct movie because that's Gothica. Gothica. Yeah. That's yeah. what Gothica. I'm thinking of. I ended up renting it at Blockbuster because, one, when we used to work at Blockbuster, you got five free rentals a week. What's Blockbuster? This, yeah, I know. Single tier, yet again, rolling down my cheek. But <laughs> the cover of it had this woman sleeping, and there was, like, this little, like, gremlin sitting on her shoulder. like Oh, shit, that's what that is? Squatting down, like, looking at her. Yep. Oh, dude. Oh, like, where my dad worked or something years ago, they had that poster in the bathroom. It used to scare the crap out of me. Yeah, so that's why I rented it. Cause I was like, oh, oh that's crazy. what that is. And what it is, My it's a movie, and it's about a um, it's a, about a true story of Mary Shelley, who you mentioned earlier, uh, Lord Byron, Claire Claremont, who was married to, I believe, Lord Byron, getting together and kind of doing seances and telling stories, which eventually became all of these famous horror stories. But in the movie, of course, you know, they have that part, but they also show this like gremlin coming out and kind of murdering people and whatnot. Um, but I always thought it was such a cool idea. Like that all of these writers actually were friends and they did get together and now they've, and they've written some of the most famous horror stories and stories of all time. So that's one of the ones because of those, those various characters. Cool. Um, it didn't make my list because there's not, and there weren't enough characters, but if you were into comics, there's a comic called unwritten, which I highly suggest. Um, it does have some famous people in it, but it is kind of a fictional tale of Harry Potter, the author of Harry Potter, um, which I also highly suggest. It's a series of maxi comics uh, in it. Actually, Rob, you'd probably like it. Mm-hmm. About J.K. Rowling? Well, it's about a similar character. It's actually a male writer, and he writes a bunch of, of stories featuring this his this wizard who's based on his son. And then before he finishes the book, he disappears and everyone thinks that his son, who hated being based on this character, has killed him. But what turns out is that there's a whole storyline. It's, it's, you know, 70, 80 issues long as to what happened, so I won't spoil it. But it's there's stuff that happens. It's, it's very cool. And it also brings in a bunch of characters like Bram Stoker, for example. But anyway, um, my number four is uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, which yes. I'm going the book is good. But I'm, I'm I'm actually going to go with the movie. Uh, <gasps> it's, it's the book is probably better, but the movie is just like candy for me. I'll whenever I don't know quite what I want to watch, or I'm doing work, I'll put that one on in the background because it's, it's just it's super it's, fun. It's just fun. Yeah, it's just it's just it's like a, a handful of sweet tarts. Just fun, it's delicious. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Inglorious Bastards, also the movie because of the. Lovely, uh, the Hitler reference. There you go. <laughs> and him getting, you know, him angrily screaming at a room full of people, which has become a meme for many years since. Uh, my number two, I'm going to go with the list of seven, which we just talked about, so I don't need to say much more about that. Nice. And number one, got to go with Bill and Ted because there's just so many characters yes. in there. And <laughs> yeah. I'm, I am willing to bet that there are people that were able to pass history class when we were in high school because of that movie. So Bill and Ted because has Freud, Lincoln, Joan of Arc, Angus Khan, Napoleon, and you end up learning a lot about those characters even though they were there for comedy purposes. So Bill and Ted would be my favorite movie that has a his, real historical figures as fictional characters. Demon's high school football rules. <laughs> I'll go ahead and go next. Excellent to each other. <laughs> yes. If that's okay with you guys. Sure. 
Um, I had to pull an audible at the last that. second. Um, I, I, I initially had my number five at the Dark Tower because it's an alternate reality. We've talked about it a lot. We talked about it in this episode where not only does Stephen King write himself into the novel, of course, he's still living and I hope he lives forever, but it also has Spiro Agnew as becoming president of the United States, but it wasn't a significant enough role. So for my number five, I put Bill and Ted. Of course, the the mall scene, Genghis Khan dressed up in, you know, football padding. It's just hilarious. And we were told just hours ago, completely ravaged the sporting goods store. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to go my number four as uh, Dracula, Bram Stoker, who is kind of a combination of multiple stories, but he is based on – the character himself is based on uh, Vlad the Impaler. So is you know, inspired – of course, Bram Stoker's kind of started it, although it does live in, in folklore previous to that. But, you know, the vampire that we all kind of picture in our heads is is modeled after that character. That, that was one of the ones I was like, uh, it was, yeah, it, been, it was typed and deleted a few times. It, it, uh, answering this question was kind of hard. I, yeah, I had some issues too. I couldn't think of things, and then I thought of things that were not based on real historical figures. But once I, my my fingers got to typing, it just kind of kept going. Um, so I have some honorable mentions. But my number three, I'm going to agree with you, Greg, but disagree. I'm going with Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter and the book, not the movie. I... The movie is, yeah, it's kind of eye candy, but the book was um, a lot better in my opinion. They did things in the movie to speed it along, but there's a, a lot of the book takes place kind of on a, a barge fording the Mississippi River. And no, you're not wrong. Oh, I know I'm not wrong. That's what but, I'm saying. <laughs> but I, I'm still going to have to pretend like you are to argue with you. Okay. That's Mr. Fine. Fancy Pants. Ooh, right. look at me. I have a book. I, I like books. I like to read. Okay. And, Whatever, man. Yeah. Just because you're you're simple, that's fine. Um, number two, these these are I, I'm getting into my top two here are ones that got really fun for me because I didn't think of them at first, but when I did, I got really excited. Number two is Bubba Hotep, and that is starring the Bruce Campbell, in which the two characters profiled in there are JFK and Elvis Presley. So if you haven't seen it, you should. It's amazing, especially if you're a fan of Ash, Ash versus <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Ash versus <laughs> I'm surprised that it took us so long to have that slip up. I'm sorry. Let's go on. Normally, I edit out that, out that sort of thing, but this time there's no way in hell. Yeah, leave it in. Uh, if you're a fan of Evil Dead, Army of Darkness, Ash versus or, Evil Dead, Burn Notice – or as for the evil dead. <laughs> Picture that one in your head. Uh, check it out. Uh, the late Ozzy Davis plays JFK. And uh, it's fantastic. My number one is Six String Samurai. I've never seen that. Or read that. or Okay, that. so it's a movie that came out. Independent film. Came out years ago. Uh, the soundtrack is done by the band The Red Elvises. 
for a, a Russian kind of rockabilly band. And the characters featured in that are Buddy Holly as he treks across the wasteland to a post-apocalyptic Las Vegas where the king, Elvis Presley, has just died and he seeks to take his throne. Hmm. It's amazing. So check it out. That's my list. And we're on to you, Rob. All right. Well, I am I am probably going to have to ask for... Um some uh some rulings on on one or two of mine because while technically it it tells the story of of what happened it goes so far into the fantastical realm that it's a fictional story okay um because it 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 will also affect depending upon how you guys and, and we'll leave it up to greg since he's the birthday boy Rob, uh, are you going to talk about Ghost Dad again? Because that I'm, wasn't that was not real. Uh, yes, it was. <laughs> I know up. you always want to talk about Ghost Dad. But... Shut up, Greg. Sorry. Um, it'll it'll affect where it lands on my list. I'll go ahead and put it where it should be in my list. Um, and and I'll get the judgment, and then depending upon the judgment, it'll it could end up getting bumped further down. Okay. Uh, but my my five. Um, I'm going to start with number five as, and believe it or not, I'm going with Shakespeare in Love. Um, okay, cool. I, I actually really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was really well done. It's been a while since I've seen it, so I don't remember a lot of the specifics. But um, I remember seeing the movie and being pleasantly surprised and really enjoying the movie. So You really enjoyed that that was the first movie that Gwyneth Paltrow was topless in. That, that may have, that may have had something to do I remember two things. I remember that, and I remember all of the references that led to Shakespeare's works. That 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 may have had something to do with it. I also but, hate that movie because it beat Saving Private Ryan for the Academy Award, which is a travesty. Well, that may be as well. Um, so I'm going to go with Shakespeare in Love. Um, for number four, I'm. it's not the best one in the series, but I did like almost all of the series. I'm going to go with Pirates of the Caribbean 4 because they use Blackbeard. Oh, okay. And Blackbeard about that. was an actual character. And I do I do like all of the movies, but it wasn't the best one of the series. Hmm. Uh, and while while um while the others did have like Davy Jones, um I'm not sure that you could actually call him a historical character. Um so I'm gonna go with Pirates Four for my number four on Stranger Tides. Okay, and you just cool. reminded me of two that should have been in my list. Whoops. Anyway, go on. That was I the go yeah. All right. That's good. So for You're my, have to clarify after this, I will. For my number three, I am going to I'm going to go with Gladiator as my number three. That almost made my list as well. It it has Marcus Aurelius, it has Commodus, who are actual mm-hmm. historical figures, but yes. I do believe that the story of Gladiator is completely fabricated um, because it, it it actually revolves around a completely fictional character. Um, in Maximus. And to some extent, a very fictional idea because the gladiators weren't as, as revealed as shown in movies. It's not quite like that. You know, some of them were that some of them weren't really forced into things. It wasn't quite as bad as we look back on it in movies. And, and right. See. And, and in fact, they, they had to stop some emperors from, from joining the, the gladiator corps because they were so famous through all of Rome. Hmm. Um, so they actually had to have laws in place that people in positions of power could not join the gladiator corps. 
So that's going to be my, my number three for my number two. And this is, this is the one that is probably going to, that is probably going to need the judgment because of, of, of the ones, this one probably tells, tells the most of a historical story, but it's so out there and so fantastical that I think it qualifies. And I'm going to go with 300. Ghost, dad, ghost, dad, ghost, dad. I'm going with 300, the story of Leonidas and the Spartans. That almost made my list. I understand that it does actually tell the story of the 300, but it tells it in such a way that's completely fictional that I think it qualifies. Okay, so I'm going to also talk about this here. Uh, I was speaking to Omar, who was our resident historian, who's been on the show a couple times earlier tonight, and I asked him this question, and 300 was his choice as well. And he said, and he's read every history book that you could possibly imagine reading, and he also said basically the same thing, so it is completely viable. Yes. Agreed. Fantastic. So 300 is my number two. And then, of course, for my number one, it's got to be Bill and Ted. Excellent. Bill Bill and Ted Ted is just so much fun. And it's got them historical figures. Yeah, you actually reminded me of of three things as you guys were talking that I sort of mentioned that probably should jump it would have jumped into my list. Um, One of which is the show Vikings, which is, again, sort of based on. Okay. It's sort of based on a real Viking, but at the same time, they they kind of mash together many different eras of various Vikings that spread over hundreds of years. But do they actually do they actually name the historical Viking in the show? They do. Oh, okay. Then you then you're fine. Also, we probably possibly flubbed on um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail as well. Oh, oh, wow! Dang it! Yeah. Yeah, so that probably would have been on one of our lists as well. Um, the other one was Black, Sa- Black Sails, which basically tells a lot of the story. Again, fictional story using real characters of all, of, pretty much all the pirates that you, you know, Blackbeard. Oh, wow. Uh, that looks really cool. It's very I'm, well done. I'm super disappointed in myself because actually on Monday night, I answered a trivia question correctly. It was Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Nice. Well, yeah, but we, but wait a minute. I think I thought about that, but didn't include it because King Arthur wasn't actually a historical person. It's just a myth. Was, what was Lancelot uh, and all those guys? Yeah, they, they were all part of the King Arthur's court. They they weren't. They right. I believe they were historical myths. They weren't actual I, historical that, people. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes, I, I highly suggest Black Sails if you're into the the kind of the true semi true story of pirates. At least it's a little. It's kind of the story of of the Bahamas. Um, and the other one that came up at some point that popped in my mind, I think all of the characters are actually dead, but there are based on true things, was uh, the G.I. Joe series Arise, Serpentor Arise, where they went and built Serpentor by going to collect the DNA of various dead, like, historical tyrants. Oh. So, like, so like Rasputin and uh, uh, Vlad Tepe and Napoleon and all these. And they that was actually the first time I really heard of the term DNA, first of all. Second of all, because it was like 1985 or six, mm-hmm. and also the I heard of many of these people, um, and also GI Joe has been on my mind recently for some reason. I can't I, imagine I have why. No idea why. Yeah. So that, those I, are three I, other I ones. I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, you guys listening out there should stick around, find out why Greg is so obsessed with GI Joe lately. Very obsessed with GI Joe. Also, I believe that I have found my assignment for Rob. Okay. For my birthday, if you have not read it yet, I am uh, assigning you with Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield. Gates of Fire. 
Gates right. of Fire, an epic novel of the Battle of Thermopylae. Okay. It's a, quote, truer account of the story of the 300 Spartans. All right. God, I, I'm actually going to have to read because I don't think it's probably in audiobooks. Um, if it's not, we can find an alternative because I know your schedule and I know that would be difficult. So um, let's see real quick. Is it? I don't think it is, actually. Mm. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Oh, it is, actually. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, this guy's good. Okay. Okay. Excellent. And I have uh, Rob, too. Rob has also assigned me a book, and I am... About, and myself as well. I'm about nine hours into it at the moment, so... And and I've I've given you guys plenty of time, as my episode is not until April. Yes. Yeah, Jimmy, you got to assign me, because yours is, like, two weeks. <laughs> mm, but we'll, we'll get I, there. I don't know yet. So... Figure it out. Closing out the show, first of all, guys, thank you for indulging me in my birthday weirdness. Are we going to do the Infinity Five? Or... Oh, that's going to take... Uh... Well, several of them appeared on both of our uh, on all of our lists. Definitive five. Well, okay, sure. for the fans. Well, Bill and Ted's in there. Definitely, Bill and Ted is definitely on there, and I think it should be high on there. Yeah. Uh, f- you know, Forrest Gump wasn't mentioned, but that's also a big one too. That um, Forrest Gump was. Forrest Gump was on my um, alternates. In my alternates, as was Night at the Museum, Team America. And any reality that David Bowie is still alive. So he just watches Labyrinth over and over again. Exactly. Uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter was also obviously on yep. on some of our lists, and, and Rob had some uh, pleasant things to say about it, so that one's there. Um, I would be willing to also accept, even though we didn't put it on our individual list, but uh, you haven't really seen Black Sails, but it's probably worth do- saying. Um, but I would. Uh, what, what do you guys? What do you guys think should be on there? I would toss um, up three hundred. Just I because, would as well. Just because it was such an awesome movie. It was really good. Okay, I can go with 300. Same. So um, Bill Ted is one, 300 as two, yeah. Abraham Lincoln as three at the moment. Uh, uh, list of seven, Jimmy and I loved. Okay. That maybe I, maybe it's five. Cause, okay. Um, how about, well, I don't know. Uh, Rob, what do you think of Forrest Gump? Do you think that could go at number four? I, I think it could because it, it had quite a number of um, of historical figures, mm-hmm. and and it was an excellent movie. Okay, yeah, let's do that at four. All right. So even though Forrest Gump wasn't on anybody's top five, <laughs> yes. but it was yeah, that always was right there, in mind. But they're always like, oh yeah, that's right, crap. Yeah, it worked in so many historical figures in such a. A very groundbreaking way at the time, yeah. you know, seamlessly putting Tom Hanks in footage with. It was six on mine. Mm-hmm. It so, was also six on mine. And I didn't. I figured someone else would talk about it, so I figured it would give me an opportunity to talk about Gothic, which is way less known. <laughs> I remember that damn poster that used to give me nightmares. Mm-hmm. So let's run them down real quick, and uh, we can all agree that our definitive five alternate reality. Uh, Stories featuring actual historical figures. At number five is List of Seven, the novel by Mark Frost. Number four, Forrest Gump. Number three, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, in both movie and book format. Number two, 300, a not-so-true account of the last end of the 300 Spartan Warriors, but a fantastic movie. And number one, 
Bill and Ted because it's amazing. Yes. Okay, so a few, a few last minute little Excellent. things here. Okay, so we mentioned G.I. Joe and we were talking about why I'm a little bit nuts for it. Uh, recently on Netflix, there was a documentary that started, I believe they're up to episode four or five right now, uh, called The Toys That Made Us. Uh, one episode is about He-Man, one episode's about Barbie, one is about, uh, what, is, what is the other one, Rob? Isn't there one about Transformers? Uh, it hasn't played yet, but... oh. There's one about. Uh, well, go ahead and mention uh, the one that you're that we're gonna mention. Yeah. Well, and then there's one about GI Joe, and GI oh, Joe. Oh, Star was Wars was one of them. Star Wars oh, was yeah, one of them. Duh. Yeah, the first episode was about Star Wars. Yeah. Duh. So back when I was growing up, you kind of had to pick one toy because there was massive toy lines out, and it was expensive to get into them because there was a million vehicles, a million characters. So I didn't have really the money for the Star Wars toys or the Transformers, but GI Joe was kind of my thing. Same. And I had a couple. Yep. So like everyone kind of had their, their own toy. So GI Joe was, was my big toy and they, as part of this documentary, they talked about it and I don't think I would be a 3d artist if it wasn't for GI Joe, because when I first started learning 3d, I just modeled the toys that I had stupidly broken and or sold off as a kid. So my, all of my first models were my old toys. The hiss. Yep. <laughs> I still yep. I still use that class <laughs> examples. It was made. It was made yep. in two thousand one. So we worked on that, and uh, yeah, I, I can agree with you, man. So, anyway, uh, long story short, I watched this thing, and I remembered vaguely that there had been some members of the GI Joe like marketing team that came to an, a thing in Orlando, like a convention. So I looked up that convention's like old website from five, six years ago and found their names. And it turns out that it was one of the guys that's on the documentary. His name is um, Kirk Bozijian. So I reached out to him and was like, hey, we do a podcast and I'm a huge G.I. Joe fan. Would you be interested in coming on? And he said, sure, it sounds like fun. Just tell me when. It's like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) That should have been harder. I don't understand. (laughs) So after I cleaned up the puddle of urine on my car seat, when I got the email back. um, You still sit in a car seat? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like, it's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. It's the easiest way for me to you know, be able to eat all my Cheerios and whatnot while being driven around. But um, no, after I, I got the message, I was like, whoa. So he's going to um, come on and answer some questions, and we're going to uh, talk about just the history of G.I. Joe. And he, the cool thing about him is he is actually one of the G.I. Joe characters. He is, uh, he is Law from the Law and Order, which is the character that was like the MP military okay. police guy. With the German with the, Shepherd. Yeah, with the German Shepherd. He looks just like him. Yeah. And if I forgot, because I had that character, if you looked at his uh, his character thing, it says, you know, file name, Kirk Bozijan, primary mili- military specialty, lead the way, and secondary military specialty, marketing, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> nice. Uh, that's the way it was on the card. Um, so he's going to come on and talk, hopefully, unless I screw something up. But uh, that's why I'm all excited. And uh, tune in next week if you are a child of the 80s and, you know, you'll – You'll hear some – I'm I'm going to try to ask some questions about, like, the behind-the-scenes stuff because of all the big-time stories you can see in that documentary. But I'm think, I want to find out about the characters and about how some of the the decisions behind making various vehicles and stuff. So, and I'm hoping that you guys will also offer up some questions. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to watch the episode. Um, I'm going to try not to fanboy out too hard, though it might be difficult. But, you know, I'm thrilled. I can't wait. So stick around. 
Yeah. Check it out. It'll be fun. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. I don't believe I've ever had any pictures of centaurs. Well, you're going to now. (laughs) Yeah, apparently. (laughs) I do have minotaur porn, though.